If y'all would turn with me to Luke 24. Luke 24. This is on page 885 in the Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you there. So, there's a little bit of excitement in our house earlier this week when back from the store came the news. The Easter candy is like 50% off, or maybe even 70%. You know, Hershey Kisses, just because they're wrapped in the Easter colors, you know, big discount the next day. Uh, and that's how, that's how the, kind of the rest of the world views Easter. Um, yay, it happened, and then the next day, everything's at a discount. Uh, but here in the church, that's not how it is. Every time when we gather we are celebrating the resurrection of Christ. And it's just as good as the time before and just as good as the time that's coming. And so we are here, today is another Resurrection Sunday. And we are here to celebrate the risen Christ. So this morning, we're gonna pick up and do this week and next week, a couple of weeks, looking at things that happened after the resurrection and Jesus' post-resurrection appearances to his disciples The tomb is empty. The faithful women had discovered that and they reported it to the apostles. Jesus has appeared alongside two men walking on this road to Emmaus, giving them a wonderful sermon, telling them about the scriptures and how they concerned Jesus and eventually revealing himself to these men so that they recognized him. These two men eventually ran to the disciples. They explained those words that we said last week, that Christ is risen indeed. And that's where we pick up this morning, that those things have happened. And we find the disciples huddled together in a house, and there's a special guest on the way. So let's read the passage, and then we'll look at God's word together. So we're in Luke 24, starting at verse 36. This is the word of God. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of rolled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. 
God, we ask now that you would open our minds and our hearts and our ears and our eyes. That we would hear and see Jesus, the one who gave himself for us, who died and rose again, and through whom we have life. We pray that your spirit would work in us, that we would be able to apply uh, this word that you have given us this morning. And we'll give you the honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. When there's something big that, that happens in your life, whether it's a marriage or perhaps a, a graduation, a birth in the family, maybe something hard like a difficult health diagnosis, a promotion, a job change, a move, or whatever big life event you want to put in that space. Inevitably, there comes a time after that happens where you're sitting down in a chair and you ask yourself or someone else this question, what now? Like now that this big life-altering event has happened, what do we do now? Sometimes that question is followed by a period of silence or maybe laughter or grief or more questions or maybe an inspired answer, depending on the situation. But how many times have you asked the question, what do we do now, inside a locked room and Jesus shows up? The disciples, as John's gospel tells us, they responded to the crucifixion of Christ by scattering. But then eventually they found their way back together and they're in a house and we know from John's gospel that the doors were locked out of fear. They're wondering what to do now, but this is their, their status. And then Jesus shows up and he stands in their midst and he begins to address them. He begins to talk to them. He begins to visit with them. And in his own way, he's going to answer their question. Well, what do we do now? that these things have happened. So this morning, we want to look at, at three ways Jesus addresses this. But what we need to understand is that now that the death and resurrection of Christ has happened, everything changes for them, but also for us. So the first point is this, that the resurrection of Jesus, it gives us peace in the midst of doubt and fear. So one of the things that's going to happen now is that Jesus is going to bring us peace in the midst of doubt and fear. So we see this in verses 36 through 42. So Jesus appears inside a locked room, mind you, in his post-resurrection body, and his first words to the disciples are peace to you. The disciples who were there because of fear in the first place, they, of course, react to this with more fear, thinking perhaps they're seeing a ghost, and one of the things that's important to realize is that at this point, the disciples really were the first skeptics of the resurrection. If you have had doubts uh, in your life about Christianity or about the resurrection of Christ, you need to know that you're, you're not the first person to have those doubts. The others have gone before you and have had those doubts. And the disciples really were the first skeptics. We often isolate Thomas a little bit from the account in John chapter 20, doubting Thomas. But we see here that Thomas was not with the disciples at this time. 
But before he doubted, the other disciples were right there with him. That they doubted as well. Earlier in Luke 24, it's noted that the women came to them, having heard the message of the angels, who reminded them of the words of Jesus, who had said these very things would happen, that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise again on the third day. The women reported the empty tomb. And then it says that to the disciples, when they heard this, that it seemed like an idle tale and that they did not believe it. So they're in a place of fear and and doubt and skepticism. And it's in that moment that Jesus comes to them and says, peace to you. One commentator notes that Jesus saying peace to you is, this is more than, hey, how y'all doing? It's not an expression of a greeting or anything like that. No, he's bringing peace, both in his words and in all the things that he is about to tell them that he has done for them. You would think that the very sight of Jesus and the sound of his voice would be enough at that point to produce some sort of celebration or moment of joy. But really, we find the disciples here just scared, thinking they've seen a ghost, still wrestling with unbelief. So Jesus asked them a great question. He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? I want to encourage all of us to think about this question this morning. I want to encourage us to think about this question when we have moments or even seasons, perhaps, of doubts. There's a lot of things that can contribute to doubt. There's a lot of factors, and these were all in play for the disciples that day. And I suspect for many of us, we've wrestled with these things at different times. What are the things that can bring about doubt? Well, there can be difficult circumstances. So in this case, authorities have just killed their leader and they're looking for these disciples. That's a difficult circumstance. Sometimes it's a tragic event. The crucifixion had just happened. Sometimes it's a situation where it looks like evil is prevailing and good is lost, like the death of Christ. Then there's the disciples dealing with their own sin of denying and deserting Jesus when things had gotten difficult. There's the struggle of unbelief. All these things are happening in and to the disciples, and the result is a collective and overwhelming doubt. But isn't Jesus a great Savior? It's pretty remarkable to think that, you know, day, just a day or two or hours before this, that he literally hung upon the cross, dying for their sins and ours. Dying to defeat evil, dying to destroy death. And here he is risen from the dead, having accomplished our salvation, having done what he promised. And he has come into their presence to cast out doubt. And unbelief. He goes as far here to invoke all of their senses as he does this. He speaks to them so they will hear his voice. He invites them to use their eyes to look at him. He invites them to touch him where the wounds that healed their souls were. And he even eats in their presence. We see in the passage, this moves the disciples from a state of doubt to some sort of speechless 
I believe, but I can't believe it, sort of state of wonder. It's interesting here that Luke doesn't give us an account of what the disciples are saying at this point. Perhaps they're trying to pick their jaw up off the floor first. But as the story continues, and as we go through the end of Luke and we go into the beginning of Acts, we see the disciples go from this place of doubt and fear and skepticism to this speechless wonder to eventually faithful living and being the most vocal ambassadors for their Lord and their King. But before we get to that, though, how, how did they get there? What do you do with your doubts? Perhaps it starts by asking the question that Jesus asked the disciples. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? What this does is it acknowledges the reality of doubt. It's a real thing. But it also begins to identify the source of our doubts. Although there's a lot of external factors that contribute to it, Jesus says here, it arises in the heart. And therefore, doubts need to be examined. Tim Keller famously said in his book, The Reason for God, that We need to be willing to doubt our doubts. Meaning that when doubts arise, we need to thoroughly examine them before simply adopting them out of some sort of conviction or perhaps convenience. And so Jesus' question here, it invites us to question our doubts. But once we've done that, we can't stay there. Jesus asked the question, but then he answers it. And he does so by showing himself to the disciples. He says, listen, look, touch, it's me, the risen Lord. We must lift our eyes from our, from our doubts and from our circumstances and all those things. We must look upon the risen Christ. We must open our ears to hear his voice, speaking his word through us, speaking through his word to us. We must examine the evidence of the scriptures of eyewitnesses who saw these things and the testimony of history. And at the end of the day, this is a question of the heart and of belief. And we must respond by putting our faith and trust in the one who showed his nail-scarred hands and his pierced feet, who died upon the cross for our sins and our doubts, who rose again to bring us into everlasting life and joy with him. Peace to you. Jesus says, because he is their peace and our peace. In the face of doubt and difficulty, the disciples ultimately believed and received the peace that Jesus brought to them. And that led them to a greater purpose. So we come back to the what now question. Christ's death and resurrection has brought peace to you, reconciling you to God, casting out doubt and fear. But what do you do now with that? Our second point is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus gives us a purpose to proclaim his word to the world. So we have peace with God through Christ, but it's not something we're supposed to keep to ourselves. It's something we're supposed to proclaim. This is in verses 43 through 48 that we see this. 
So Jesus, now somewhat bewildered and awestruck, uh, with a bewildered and awestruck audience here, begins to explain to the disciples what had happened and to answer this question of what now. And he begins by telling them his purpose, which was to fulfill the scriptures and fully accomplish the salvation of his people. And then he's going to tell them their purpose, which he will accomplish through them, and that is to be a witness and proclaim the good news of repentance and forgiveness in Jesus' name to all nations. You know, just a small task for them, right? But Jesus, he says, he came to fulfill all the scriptures, that this was part of his mission from day one. Friends, when you hear of churches that begin to discard the scriptures, or downplay the scriptures for the convenience of their own worldview. We need to realize that when they do that, they're directly contradicting how Jesus approached the scriptures. The scriptures to Jesus were the word of God. When he speaks of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, he's summarizing the entirety of the Old Testament. And he had told them all along, and now he tells them again, that everything written about me in the law, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That included his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Then it says he opened their mind to understand the scriptures that they would be prepared to not only believe, but to proclaim the word of God and to build his church. So what were they to do now with all this? To go and be that witness to all they had seen in the life and death and resurrection of Christ, to proclaim the good news of the gospel that through faith in Christ, there's salvation and the forgiveness of all of our sins. It's the same message that started the gospels, that the response of the human heart to the coming of Christ is to repent of our sins and believe in him. Now the resurrected Christ, speaking to his disciples, says that which you have done repenting of your sins, receiving forgiveness of your sins, believing in Christ. Now go and proclaim that message to the rest of the world, to all nations. The disciples have been locked up in a room, afraid of local authorities. And Jesus here is about to kick that door wide open because he says it's time to go. And it's time to leave doubt and fear behind. It's time to proclaim the glorious truth of the resurrection to the rest of the world. Often it's easy for us to, to lose sight of our purpose, isn't it? There's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things competing for our attention, our time, our resources. There's a lot of things that would love for us to find purpose in them. Just check your email, they'll tell you, right? But for the disciples and for us, Christ has laid out the purpose beyond all other purposes. And that is to bear witness to him. You are my witnesses, he says. When the stuff of this world invites you to adopt their purpose, it's typically in the guise of you being able to make a name for yourself or advance yourself in some way. But when Jesus gives you a purpose, it's to make his name known. Because it's through him and in his name that there's forgiveness of sins. It's through him and in his name that your debt has been paid. It's through him and in his name that salvation is found. And as Acts tells us, there's no other name in heaven and on earth or under the earth by which we could be saved. Only the name of Jesus. 
Friends, this is the purpose we must take this morning. As those who have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we follow him, taking up this purpose, proclaiming the good news of salvation and forgiveness of sins. This good news, not only for us, but for the whole entire world. So Jesus, he's, he gives us peace. He's given us a purpose, but he doesn't just leave us to ourselves. He doesn't leave us to our own devices to go and do these things. He doesn't even leave us asking what now. Third point is this, the resurrection of Jesus. He also gives us a promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit as we believe and proclaim the gospel. One thing that's kind of in vogue to say these days, and maybe, maybe if I say it, we'll stop saying it, is you've got this. Okay, how many said it? I've said it. I said it yesterday at the cookie dash, the 5K cookie dash. I said it to some runners. I'm like, you got this, because I ain't running. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, I said, you've got this. Uh, parents say it, coaches say it, teachers say it. It's kind of a thing now. Um, and, and there's a place for that, right? We want to inspire confidence and make people smile and things like that. Um, but for the disciples here, Jesus is not saying you've got this. That's not what he's saying at all. He doesn't say, hey, go on. You've got this. Just remember to unlock the doors on your way out, right? No, the, the purpose that Jesus gives requires full dependence upon him and power from God, which he was going to give to them. So maybe it's better to say, you know, God's got this, right? And so he says, stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. This certainly refers to the Holy Spirit promised by Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, after the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells the people of God. I was driving in another part of the great state of Alabama a few weeks ago. Uh, the interstate was no good that day. And so we were off in the country. And uh, we passed a church sign. I love church signs. If you, if you see funny church signs, you can send them to me. Uh, this one wasn't funny, but it was very simple and straight to the point. The sign simply said, Jesus went up and the Holy Ghost came down. Now, what a summary of what's about to happen. The ascension of Jesus and then Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming down. So what now for the disciples? They're to wait, but not that long until the Holy Spirit comes down. And then to go and proclaim the message of the gospel to all nations, to the ends of the earth. And they're to do this with the power of God at work in them through his spirit. So they would not be left alone to figure it out. He would be with them and through them build his kingdom and his church. What does the Holy Spirit do? Well, that's probably a sermon for another day. But if you go back and read through John's 14 through 17, you'll see this, that as Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he says a number of things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of believers. That one, he is a comfort. Uh, he's their comforter. Uh, two, he's a counselor. Okay, he teaches us. He guides us. Three, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and our need for righteousness of Christ. The Holy Spirit works change in us. These all begin with C, by the way. All right, the Holy Spirit works change in us via the work of sanctification. 
And then the Holy Spirit always points us to Christ, right? And guides and directs us to Christ and his work for us. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. And that's what's going to be going on in the lives of the disciples and the believers in Christ in us. In John 14, uh, verse 25, in following, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So friends, this morning, uh, what, what about us? What now? Did we just really have a nice Easter last week and then just kind of shrug our shoulders after that? Go hit up that discount candy, right, in the aisle at Walmart? Have we been encumbered by doubt or fear or distractions? Friends, all the things that Jesus brought to the disciples that day in that locked room, he has also given to you. If you have trusted in him by faith, you have peace, even in the midst of doubt and fear, because he is your peace. You have a purpose to proclaim his message, that Christ has risen, and that the response must be to repent of our sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that our sins are forgiven through him. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and through you as he sends you to be witnesses in this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel and that Christ has brought us peace and that we have salvation and forgiveness through him. We know that, Lord, we cannot do these things ourselves and that we are at your mercy. And we just thank you that through Christ you have given us your mercy and your grace. And that in Christ uh, we stand as those who have been dressed in his righteousness um, and that we belong to you. We thank you for the work of your spirit to teach us and to, to convict us and to comfort us. We pray, Lord, that this week you would remind us afresh and anew of your goodness and grace to us in Christ uh, and that we would uh, be free to share that peace with others uh, and that we would be free to proclaim the good news of the risen Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.